Nearly a quarter of New Zealanders on the electoral roll decided not to vote last November. A parliamentary select committee inquiry into the election is looking into turnout, among other election issues. With submissions due in the coming week, in this Radio New Zealand Insight, Philippa Tolley investigates why the lowest number of voters for more than a century took part in the 2011 election. I went to the voting place. I just didn't vote. I went with my dad. And he voted, but they made it really difficult. So I just kind of walked out. Pretty much because I'm too lazy. Just work and that gets in the way as well. I don't understand it, so I thought it would be better if I did it. I don't know, it's just confusing. 2.2 million New Zealanders took part in the election. And uh, as a percentage of age, the age-eligible population, that was uh, 69.7%. And that was a 6% decline over the number who participated in 2008. Laying out the 2011 election figures is the Chief Electoral Officer Robert Pedden. As a percentage of those enrolled it was a it was 74.2 percent. More people voted national today than three years ago and I want to thank each and every one of you. After the election, the Electoral Commission ran a survey to find out more about how voters feel about its performance and their thoughts about the elections in general. Whether they voted at the last election, whether this was the first election that they voted in, whether they voted in advance. The survey was released in the last few days and Robert Pedden says many of the reasons why people chose not to vote haven't changed from last time round. In 2011, the main reasons were largely the same as in 2008, that they had other commitments, or they couldn't be bothered, or they couldn't work out who they wanted to vote for. We also ask about the factors which influence non-voters on their decision, and the main factors are things like a lack of trust in politicians or a lack of interest in politics. It wasn't our time this time, but we are members of a great political party. It might not have been our time this time, but our time will come again and we will be ready to take New Zealand forward at that time. The Labour Party leader at the last election, Phil Goff. The current Labour Party president, Moira Coatsworth, says it's well known which groups tend to have lower voter participation and they're those on reduced incomes, Māori, Pacifica and Asian people, those with lower levels of formal education and younger voters. Those groups are historically likely to contain high numbers of potential Labour voters. Internationally and in New Zealand, progressive parties seem to be more affected by low turnout. You get higher voting amongst elderly people and conservative voters and people with high levels of wealth. So some of the, the groups that are well within our core vote are the ones that you get lower turnout in. So I guess the message for us is we need to be working extremely hard to motivate those people that it is worth voting. The campaign manager for the National Party in the last election, Stephen Joyce, now the Minister for Economic Development, points to developing global trends. I think possibly as life gets busier and, and, and media atomizes, uh, there's possible to go through life without even hearing a news bulletin, if that's your view. And, uh, and I'm sure people have sort of segmented themselves into who's more active in which areas. Maybe that's part of it. There's a range of things. But there's undoubtedly, I think you see internationally, a trend to a declining percentage of people that turn out to vote. I just couldn't be bothered, I guess. 
that doesn't really interest me, eh? <laughs> a non-voter in Hastings. But even voters who did take part know many who chose not to. Yeah, 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 I had quite, yeah, quite a few of them just either didn't want to vote or just couldn't be bothered. But maybe if they did vote, it would have helped, so... We'll see. <laughs> the leader of United Future, Peter Dunn, who has a long-standing interest in raising awareness of the democratic system, wants to know why people don't vote. What is it that, that is seeing so many people uh, just decide it's not worth voting? It's not an active form of protest. It's just the complete apathy that it doesn't seem to matter. Whatever you do, nothing much changes. And I think that's the challenge for uh, certainly the political system, but also for... Um, the society as a whole in terms of how we encourage people to participate more actively. The Māori Party has been trying to educate Māori voters in particular about the importance of voting. One of its MPs, Te Ururoa Flavel, whose portfolios include education and information technology, says his message to groups he addressed in the last three years was, if you don't vote, don't moan. As a personal observation, there's, there's a real lack of knowledge about how one, Parliament works, how laws are made and how governments are formed. It's incumbent on us to tell people uh, how those things are dealt with um, and by that then understand the position, again I'll talk selfishly, about the Māori Party and how we uh, might figure in the political landscape. I mean, it's in our interest to tell people firstly the value of their vote and, and how it all works to, for their benefit. And if anybody believes Parliament doesn't affect them, then they're dreaming. And we have to tell people how it does affect them and then they hopefully realise the importance of the vote and taking it seriously. A professorial fellow in political science at Victoria University and advisor to the Electoral Commission, Nigel Roberts, is another who thinks busier lives and more fragmented communities work against people engaging and taking part in a whole-of-society event such as an election. But he says the interest in any particular contest plays a part as well, pointing to recent elections in Britain. In 1992, when John Major won almost unexpectedly, the result was a, expected to be extremely close, and the turnout in Britain that year was around about 77%. In uh, 1997, when Blair won, uh, the turnout was again uh, pretty high, but I think it was quite obvious that Labour had the inside running then. In 2001... Nobody in their right minds, probably not even William Hague himself, expected William Hague to become Prime Minister of Britain. And the turnout dropped to less than 60%, 59 point something percent. So you know, the public aren't stupid. They know when their vote is of more value and they know when it's of less value. To try to find out what was going on during the last election, the Justice and Electoral Select Committee has launched an inquiry into the 2011 vote, something it does after every election. The committee chairman, the National MP, Tim McIndoe, says some particular aspects of the 2011 elections require careful scrutiny. We're looking very closely at the administration of the elections in Canterbury in the light of the uh, disruption caused by the earthquakes down there. We're also putting a focus this time onto the dormant role. Under Section 109 of the Electoral Act, the Registrar of Electors is required to maintain a dormant role, which is a way of trying to ensure that people who may have disappeared off the radar but nevertheless could still be eligible to vote, are able to be able to prove their identity and their entitlement. The dormant role is made up of people whose update pack is returned as undeliverable and who have not given a new address to the Electoral Commission. People are kept on the dormant role for three years and then removed if they've not re-enrolled. But Tim McIndoe also wants the inquiry to find out more about why some people chose not to take part in the elections. 
there is some concern in the community over the fact that the number of people who voted appears to be down, and in particular, young people seem not to have voted in as great numbers as we would like them to or as they have in the past. I think there are probably a number of reasons for that, but this is an, an opportunity for people to tell us why they may not have voted or if they had any difficulty in being enrolled, and uh, we'll take on board anything that comes out of the inquiry and try to ensure that the lessons can be learned to ensure that in future elections enrolment and voter turnout are as high as they can be. The MMP voting system is often cited as providing extra encouragement to take part in elections, as under MMP every vote counts towards the final make-up of Parliament. That contrasts with the belief that in the first past-the-post system used here until 1996, a vote for the opposite party in a safe Labour or national seat was largely thrown away. But National Stephen Joyce thinks voter understanding, particularly of the MMP system, needs to be improved. New Zealand still has quite a high turnout relative to a lot of international countries, but I think some people don't understand the MMP because I've heard two things since the election. Wow, we didn't realise you know, you could get so many votes and you know, only have a majority of one or whatever it is. And then the other one is, you know, I voted for Winston Peters, I didn't realise he was going to bring six other people with him. These are two things which suggest those people anyway um, don't really understand MMP and the party vote and the fact that it's 100% the whole story. I think overall people get it now, but there'd be still surprisingly large numbers that, that don't really understand how the makeup of Parliament is determined. But there are surprisingly large numbers of people who don't seem to know much about not just MMP, but voting at all. Haven't had the time to fill it up and send it off. Oh, I've just turned at 19, so um, I've, you know, 80 have to be 18 there, so I know, do you? Wouldn't have a clue about that stuff. It's important because it gives uh, the youth a, a view. Um, a lot of young people, I suppose, don't vote and therefore don't have a, you know, the politicians don't really understand our views a lot of the time. The youth and electoral reform spokesperson for the Green Party, Holly Walker, is perturbed by the level of voter turnout and worries that while the election may have been seen as a foregone conclusion, there are people for whom not taking part is becoming a lifelong habit. She believes more attention needs to be given to young people even before they become old enough to vote. The Green Party has advocated for quite a long time that we should have compulsory civics education in secondary schools. I think one of the things that's really concerning about the statistics about this election is we've known for several elections that we have a lower voter turnout amongst those in the 18 to 24 age bracket, but we're actually now seeing a trend coming through the statistics that we also have a declining turnout in enrolment in those aged 25 to 29. Now, historically, we've kind of expected, oh well, young people don't may not vote the first time, but they'll get there eventually and, and become regular voters. And I think we're starting to see a trend in the statistics um, that shows that that's not happening. And that's really concerning because, um, you know, if people don't vote once, Perhaps that's establishing a pattern that voting isn't a regular behaviour for them. For some tertiary students in Auckland, a lack of understanding was palpable when they were asked what would be needed to get them to vote. Just, you know, knowing about it all, I guess, and also being more clear, like being clear about the whole where to vote, how do you vote. 
A greater attention to civics in the curriculum is an important factor for Peter Dunn in any effort to reverse voting trends. I think that that ingrains in people from a very early age a sense of wider community responsibility. It doesn't make them vote. I'm not in favour of compulsory voting, but I think it makes people more aware of the purpose of elections, the role they can play, the fact that uh, even though there might be one vote they can still change things and that there are other opportunities available to them to participate uh, in a democratic society. And I just think that in an environment where for reasons which are understandable but I think very prissy, we don't publicise elections all that well. We leave that to the political parties. We don't have any education campaigns about the value of voting because that might be seen as endorsing one group or other. We've got to move back from that and one way of doing that is if kids really from the age of probably 10, 12 onwards are starting to get some pretty fundamental messages about democracy. Te Uro Flavel says he's astonished at the lack of strategic understanding among groups he thought would have had more curiosity and a sense of responsibility. Those who are possibly in the, in the teaching profession uh, definitely because I've been amongst some of those forums who have n not a lot of idea about how it works and indeed the health sector where I would have thought that there was a far greater uh, element of knowledge about the, the political system because the vote fact has huge implications on how those particular sectors are run. In Māori terms, those who are in those in professions are generally seen as leaders in their community, uh, but to find that many of them don't know the implications of the vote, nor uh, possibly participate, uh, nor uh, pass that information on to others by way of their students or otherwise, is a real shock to me. But others feel it's not so much a lack of voter understanding, but that the politics on offer is bland and meaningless. A political scientist from Otago University, Bryce Edwards, says the main parties no longer have a staunch, identifiable core of supporters and a grassroots system of developing policy. In the last election, he points out that National attracted more of the working-class vote than Labour did. He believes top-down policy has meant the main parties have moved to the centre ground. When you add in greater media scrutiny and a drop-off in public trust, Bryce Edwards believes the result is a safe, risk-averse political landscape. Politicians and scandals are a much bigger part of our political climate. And you, know, you can see this in recent years, really, where scandal politics has been very central to elections. It's about what governments have done wrong, the impropriety of MPs and ministers, and that plays a big part in people's perception of, um, of the political class and whether they're worth voting for. There is general agreement that more voter interest would be sparked by a hotly contested election, but both political parties and experts are less sure about the implications of the numbers voting continue continues to decline. Could the government of the day claim to have a mandate to govern if the numbers get too small? Te Ururu Flavel responded to the issue by saying the Westminster system will survive, while the Labour Party president reiterated the need to reconnect with people. The political scientist Bryce Edwards doubts politicians have time to think about wider questions of democratic debate and legitimacy. His colleague at Victoria, Nigel Roberts, says the question of a mandate has always been difficult, with parties claiming a mandate when they've secured fewer votes in the main opposition or less than half the total vote. But Moira Coatesworth says even in an election regarded as a foregone conclusion, not every trend is downwards. Our first strategy is to enrol people, and that certainly worked this time. Actual enrolments were stable. 
In terms of getting enrolled people to vote, advanced voting is another strategy, and advanced voting was up. It's sort of been steadily increasing over the last three elections by 2 to 3%, and this time advanced voting was the highest it's been um, since MMP was introduced. Actually getting people on the ground and getting people to turn out to vote is also something we asking for across the country. While getting people out on the ground in South Auckland worked for Labour, the Green Party rewarded people for enrolling by offering free songs from big-name New Zealand musicians. The Hey Kiwi site, linked through to an electoral commission form to enrol, and when the form was downloaded, it allowed the user access to a song from bands such as the Phoenix Foundation, the Black Seeds and the Clean, which donated a song to the site. But whatever efforts have been made, some still feel disillusioned, including this voter in Hastings. It doesn't get out to everyone. Not everyone gets the full story. And they've got to live hard, do it hard, because the ones that do get the story are keeping it for themselves. They forget about us, the underdog. The Māori Party feels that keeping people constantly informed rather than approaching them just before an election is vital to ensuring individuals keep engaged in the political process. The younger generation of Māori don't seem to have a connect to the whole question of voting. There's a real disconnect and what we've attempted to do is use the, the forum that, that they readily take up, namely things like Facebook, Bebo and um, those sorts of forums, social media. Uh, have been sort of instrumental in bringing people on board and at least putting the information out there uh, because you can only go so, so far with TV and yet, uh, you know, depending on the number of friends you've got on Facebook, it can make a significant uh, change to um, how the message is put out. So we, we're looking across the board at how we can engage people better and the one biggest lesson that I've learnt in politics in the last six years or so is you've got to keep people informed. But Nigel Roberts thinks it's time New Zealand got tough with voters and considered the system used in Australia where it's compulsory to take part. You're not forced to vote, but you do have to turn up at the polling booth and get a voting paper. Uh, and that means that about 95% of people vote. If you cast an invalid vote, that's perfectly acceptable. If you just put a line through it or say, get lost. But people have to go to the polling stations or else they're fined. Now, the fine is a fairly small fine, but the Australian authorities uh, do follow up on people who don't vote because it is compulsory to turn up at the polling place and vote. That has another advantage. And what that does is it takes the emphasis away from political parties providing transport, you know, the party with the slickest machine or you know, the, the best organisation. The ground rules are then everybody has to go and vote and uh, you know, it's not the richest party or the slickest or the best organised party that will necessarily do best. In New Zealand, not enrolling is illegal, but no one has ever been fined. The chief electoral officer said the carrot approach of encouraging people to take part is favoured over the stick of punishing those who do not. Some voters, such as these students in Auckland, have unusual suggestions as to how to motivate the young to take part. Have you got free stuff, maybe? (laughs) I'm not joking. (laughs) I know a lot of people that like free stuff, like all about free stuff. But they also want more online for young would-be voters. Like market it to them more? Facebook? Yeah, something like that. Like, it's mainly marketed to adults on TV. And even those who did vote think it needs to be easier. Because the thing is, is no one can be bothered wasting petrol money and stuff. Like, even though it's down the road and stuff, they can't be bothered like going out of their way to vote. But if it was just, if it like. If the voting system kind of like came to them, like they could just have like more access to it, just online or something, like it'd be a lot easier for them.
The Green MP Holly Walker says her party is very keen for the internet to play a greater part in the whole voting process. But she's also aware of the need for reliable security to ensure confidence in any system. If we were ever to go down the route of online voting, for example, we would have to absolutely make sure that we we are able to correctly identify voters against their number on the electoral roll and that there's no abuse of that system. I'm confident that those issues could be teased out. I imagine it would be a fairly um, long-term and quite comprehensive process to move in that direction. Um, But we should start having those conversations now. And she acknowledges that not everyone has access to computers or is comfortable operating in cyberspace. It needs to be a dual approach. We need to embrace those technologies and I believe there's a significant audience of people who are highly engaged with those technologies for whom it would make a significant difference. But we mustn't make the mistake of believing that if we pursue these online technologies, we'll solve the problem. It's a really um, positive initiative, but we have to make sure that it doesn't leave behind those um, who don't have access to those technologies. And that may be older people, it may be people in, in lower socioeconomic areas. Moira Coatesworth has some reservations about embracing online voting, whether it's in the public domain with voting machines or a step further to online voting from home. We haven't had the debates yet. Online voting, it's going to need to be very safe. We've got one or two countries. I think Brazil was the first to bring in electronic voting systems. But it's certainly there's a lot of discussion and debate to be had in New Zealand um, about that. The hacking of the email account of the Foreign Affairs Minister Murray McCulley earlier this year is the sort of incident Te Ururoa Flavel believes creates disquiet about electronic systems. In light of the sort of hacking that has been done either to ministers' emails or by newspapers of the world, then I suppose it's only appropriate that people have some sort of fear about the manipulation of the process. Uh, But it should not be just chucked out because of that. I think it should be given some investigation against the notion of attracting people into participating in the vote. The privacy of the voting booth is an important factor for political scientist Nigel Roberts. With postal voting or with internet voting, the possibility of somebody interfering with their spouse's vote, somebody making a spouse or a child vote in a certain way, uh, that cannot happen in a public polling place. But the chief electoral officer, Robert Pedden, doesn't believe online access would improve voter participation. I think at some point in the future it's inevitable that New Zealand will have some form of i-voting. The key question is when that will be. However, I would be cautious about assuming that i-voting is going to be a way of addressing our decline in turnout. But certainly there is no evidence uh, from any of the overseas trials that it has had that result. Uh, and I think that we need... Uh, I think it would be a mistake to rely on i-voting as the solution to our turnout problems. While many in New Zealand are disenchanted or uninterested in elections here, those who are passionate about politics might note the contrast with events overseas in the past year, where many parts of the Middle East and North Africa have experienced uprisings against authoritarian regimes. Protesters took to the streets in countries such as Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, Yemen and Bahrain, demanding greater democracy and rebellions oiled by the use of social media. Social media had a part to play in New Zealand's November election, but despite 10,500 likes for the Electoral Commission's Orange Guy Facebook page, engagement among many voters here is dropping. I'm not really interested in politics. I couldn't be bothered. No one really votes because they're not interested in it. Because I know all my friends didn't vote either. 
because I don't know why they just they didn't like either parties, the major parties, Labour and National. They didn't like them. And others hold politicians in less than high regard. They're all pretty much just a bunch of liars and that, just trying to further themselves. So just because that's the type of people that go into that sort of thing. Usually, I haven't seen anything to show me otherwise. Is it the fault of MPs for not reaching out and making politics relevant to the community? I did think about it, but then really I don't know who to vote for because to me they're all a bunch of crooks. <laughs> to me they all take want to take your money and say all these promises and stuff and then they just don't give you anything anyway. They say they're going to do this and going to do that and then when they get in you don't see any changes. Nigel Roberts doesn't think MPs should feel responsible. I don't think we can blame members of parliament as such. I mean, I, I actually think that uh, the question of turnout, the question of interest in the structure of government uh, is a much wider question. You know, in New Zealand, we are notoriously atheoretical. We're unhappy with theory. We're happy with a piece of 4 by 2 and a piece of number 8 fencing wire. We pride ourselves on being practical. Uh, and, you know, People who come along and talk about civics, people who come along and talk about the importance of voting, people who talk about uh, social responsibility generally aren't listened to in New Zealand and have seldom been listened to. When we were a much smaller society, when we had many fewer sources of information, it was easier to get a message across, the message being there's an election, you really ought to vote. But you know, turn the uh, telescope around. Even at its heyday, still about one in ten people weren't uh, voting. Why not? However, Otago University political scientist Bryce Edwards does fault the politicians. We can't really blame people for not voting, and I think that's one of the dangerous you know, tracks we go down if we're labelling those that don't vote as being the ones in the wrong. Um, in my view, it's the politicians, it's the political parties that aren't offering a good enough um, you know, product, if you like, to actually get those people, enthuse people, inspire people, and mobilise them to you know, get enrolled and to turn out on the day. And that's really where we should be pointing the finger, not trying to come up with any technical fixes or making it compulsory to vote, but putting the impetus back on the politicians to make elections and parliamentary politics more meaningful. One of the exchanges over voting that left the most significant memory for Peter Dunn was with a group of refugees who had settled in New Zealand. I didn't want to talk about politics per se, but what do we do? How soon should we turn up at the polling station? What do we have to do when we get there? And I was somewhat taken aback, but then I realised, and one of them said to me, the reason is we've never done it before, and we want to make sure we do it properly and, we, and that whatever way we vote, our vote counts. Now, for the average Kiwi, that's just a completely foreign world. But I think, in a way, because we've never had that pressure, and I don't want us to see it ever be placed under it, but because it's been a bit taken for granted, um, because, as I say, over the years, most people are not too affected by what goes on, voting's become very much an optional extra. And I think uh, that's sad. Um, and I think we're now at the point where we just can't continue to let the slide um, carry on on the basis that it will come right one day. It won't. The Chief Electoral Officer, Robert Pedden, is somewhat more optimistic. I think where New Zealand needs to get to is a culture where New Zealanders value their vote again and value parliamentary democracy, where everybody takes part. It's expected, it's normal, it's what we as New Zealanders do. 
The deadline for submissions to be made to the Justice and Electoral Select Committee inquiry into the 2011 election is May the 4th, and a report is expected in the second half of this year. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or a tweet to rnz underscore insight. The programme was written and presented by me, Philippa Tolley. Additional reporting was by Marnie Dunlop and Hugh Chappelle. It was produced by Gail Woods. Technical production was by Steve Burridge.